speaking about the change of the 11th century and the reform of the church, you must bear in mind that the church is not the Catholic church of today. The church in the Middle Ages is the world, at least the known world. The church is the society of the Christians that includes also the Jews and other non-Christians, whose position is defined by the Christian authority. And this society is held together by theological beliefs, hierarchy of powers, thoughts about the meaning of the communities, a system of legal precepts, a system of moral values. Also, our society today is based on similar elements, with the difference that there is not a contemporary Catholic Church, an organism that includes every aspect of social life with a rational representation of itself. On the contrary, in the Middle Ages, the society, that is the Church, had a rational image of itself, an image that included all the aspects I've mentioned, and not only the legal dimension of the common life, as it happens today. When we speak about a revolution today, we normally refer to a mainly legal transformation, changing the basic rules, the basic legal rules of a state. For a time in which the society and the church were the same, a reformation was a more complex happening involving beliefs, liturgies, customs, values, and of course, also the law. The 11th century represents a major moment of change in the history of law. In a famous book of 1983, an American legal historian, Harold Berman, gave the name Papal Revolution to the complex of innovations introduced by the papacy into the mentality of Europe. It was a kind of revolution because it changed forever the approach of the West to the regulation of human intercourse. The Papal Revolution introduced the idea of a rational procedure, the need of clear and publicly accessible texts of law, the need for a hierarchical system of courts with appeals from the inferior court to the superior, and the ideas of a shared set of legal values. Along with these apparently equitable and fair principles, Europe came out of the 11th century with a new aggressive attitude towards the external societies, as if a new strong self-confidence in the superior qualities of the Western world could fuel and justify the expansion of it in foreign territories. It is in the 11th century 
that the Muslim settlements in the Iberian Peninsula and in Sicily started to be attacked by the Christian armies. And it is at the end of the century that the first of many following crusades tried to expand the Christian power to the Holy Land. It is in the middle of the 11th century that bands of Norman conquerors invaded and settled England. And it is at the same time that other Norman knights began to conquest not only the Arab Sicily, but also the Byzantine southern Italian peninsula. Just some years earlier, the permanent state of tension between Rome and Constantinople escalated into a conflict that forever separated the Eastern Church of Constantinople from Rome. Disagreements between the Bishop of Rome, who claimed the successorship of Peter for himself, and the Patriarch of Constantinople, who ruled at the shade of the Roman Emperor, had lasted for centuries, and had been already once at the edge of the definitive conflict in the 8th century. But when the great East-West schism broke, the communion of the Catholic Church in 1054, it was forever. The Pope was finally alone. The schism had theological and ecclesiological grounds, which we can believe are of little importance for our historical understanding of the development of law. On the contrary, the abstract theological visions of a supernatural life reveal an idea of the human society, and the image of God reflects the earthly image of the power. Still fascinated by the early theological view of an almighty God, who was the only source of the divinity of his Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Eastern Church never accepted the strong hierarchical order of the Roman Church. Alongside with their emperors, the patriarchs of Constantinople maintained that the sovereignty of Peter was not entirely divine, because he represented Christ, and Christ did not entirely share the same nature of God. This very theological and abstract view had a pretty concrete effect on the organization of the local Christian communities. Has the Holy Spirit derived, the Nicene Creed said, procedit, proceeds, so derive from God alone, and not also from the Son, it sanctified every shepherd, every bishop, in the same way, with no superiority of the See of Peter in front of the other episcopal sees. On the contrary, the Western Roman Church had a much more hierarchical idea of the Christian community. It was not a gathering of many equal communities, but a well-ordered body of churches 
all governed by the central authority of the Pope. This is why the Roman Church played its important role in preserving at least an idea of unity, even during the very hard times of particularism and even of anarchy. This is why one of the main reasons of contrast between the East and the West was a single word inserted in the creed by the Roman Church. Describing the Holy Spirit, the Eastern Christians say that it proceed from the Father, while the Western added from the Father and from the Son. As the Spirit is connected with the Son for the Western Church, then the Pope, the Vicar of Christ on earth, can direct the clergy about how to invoke the intervention of the Holy Spirits in the lives of the faithfuls. So the papal revolution, as Berman said, of the 11th century is connected with this theological and political view. In fact, at the core of the ideology of the reformers, there was the idea that only the clergy could evoke the intervention of the Holy Spirit in the real life of the society. And the renewal of the Catholic clergy was in fact at the core of the political program of the reformers. During the second half of the century, the main figure of this movement was the Benedictine monk Ildebrandt of Soana, who was elected Pope in 1073 with the name of Gregory VII.